You're listening to the Property Nomads podcast, your one-stop shop for property, business, and travel-related content, tying it all together to help guide you towards success. If you like the podcast, please share with others, subscribe, and leave us a review. So get your gear together and let's get going. Welcome to the Property Nomads podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Martin Wolford, professional footballer, property investor, entrepreneur. Martin, thank you for your time today. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me along. It's uh, it's good to be here. I've listened to quite a few episodes of your podcast, so it's an honour to be featured. And for anyone that's listening that might be a Scunthorpe United fan, they're probably going to have fond memories of you for your professional football playing days. Uh, Scoring a winning goal at Wembley. How? How? Uh, before we, uh, we'll touch on the property in a bit. In terms of um, football achievements, would you say that that moment would be the best achievement you've had as a professional football player? Yes, is the, the short and end answer to that. I've, there's been some things that come close. Um, I'm a Man United fan, um, and I've I've been lucky enough to play at Old Trafford. Um, we played Man United for Scunthorpe as well, and I managed to score against them. So there's been a couple of other highlights, but. In terms of that, to score the winning goal at Wembley is, yeah, is the, the stuff that you dream of growing up as a kid. So, yes, is a is a very kind of firm answer on that one. You scored a winning goal at Wembley against Millwall, who are you know well known in the football world for being a bit of a you know, ironic, not iconic team. So not ironic team, iconic team. Um, and then you went to play for them. How did the fans receive you when when you started playing for them? <laughs> I did get a little bit of stick in the early days. It's like a few comments, like you've got something fucking making up to do, Wolford. Apologies for the language, but uh, <laughs> that's just how the Millwall fans talk. So I had to kind of put that in there. But yeah, they they, they kind of made it clear that I had some making up to do. But um, at the end of the first season, there actually we were kind of in a relegation battle, and I, I scored a goal that that kept us up there. So I think that was kind of the underlying forgiving moment that uh, that kind of put it all behind and. Um, I've uh, I've been back since and they actually kind of um, speak really highly of me down there so it's um, it's yeah definitely something to uh, to be proud of when you have to overcome something like that when you walk into a new club <laughs> yeah especially some especially someone like Millwall I'll give, it, I'll give a shout out to um, a listener Natasha uh, Bailey's well he's a massive Millwall fan so if you're listening it's a shout out to you well, growing up as a kid did you always want to be a professional footballer? Was that was that your dream, or was it just something you happened to be very good at and you just pursued? Um, it was a dream. Yeah, it was a dream. I got pushed into it quite heavily by by my dad. He's, he's a big football fan, big Man United fan, um, and I, in, I were actually the black sheep in the family because both my dad and my granddad played professional rugby. So I was like, yeah. I, but but my dad always kind of pushed me more into into football. So I think that's what is. His passion while we were from a rugby town so it were a little bit easier to get involved in in rugby and I think that's where kind of it, that side of things led my dad to be playing rugby uh, more so but as I say I think his passion was more football so ever since I, ever since I, I remember I were getting taken to, to kind of football practice and, and kind of joining teams and all that kind of stuff and I, I obviously loved it like I just remember growing up every every spare um, minute that I had in a day I'd, I'd be kind of wanting to get some kind of ball on my feet and it didn't really matter what it was we'd be, be kind of jumpers for goalpost type things <laughs> just whatever we could tennis balls football whatever it was we'd, we'd just be kicking that about so it, it was something that, that I love to do and um, 
and it was it was a dream of mine that, that, that coming onto I think you, you mentioned in the briefing that you're going to come onto kind of the, the mentality side of things. But at that point, as a kid, I, I don't know whether I, I actually believed that I would have made it. You know, I, I had as much as my dad instilled a lot of very good traits in, in me. One one being kind of the work ethic, and I've I've kind of always outworked a lot of people especially on the rise of coming through through non-league and things like that I always had that kind of attitude but confidence was wasn't one of the things that he instilled he, he was a very kind of negative person in a way um, he his, his thing was I think it, it was kind of the, the tough love thing and, and not letting me think that I was kind of better than what I was so he'd go the, the, the total opposite way with that to the point where he used to tell me I was shit every single game. <laughs> it was that extreme, and, and he's well known for my dad. My dad's mates kind of hammering quite a lot for it in terms of how he was when we were growing up. But that did have an, have an effect, and it, it got to, gets to the point when when you're kind of getting told that that over and over again. It, it, it does come down to a belief thing of of what you can um, you can achieve. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've digressed a little bit there, but but yeah, it was definitely certainly something that I always dreamed about. It, it was just something that I loved, to be honest. And and I think I think it was just the time that I was putting into into it, just purely because I, I loved it, purely because, like I say, my, my dad were, were happy, my mum and dad were happy to take me there and everywhere, kind of to the different training stuff, camps, and and all this. And I, and I genuinely just think it was it was the, the time that I was putting into it, as opposed to my friends that were kind of still enjoyed football and things like that but it was just a time point when I think that that translates to, to anything I think I don't really believe in talent all that much I think talent is something that you earn through through hard work and, and practice um, so yeah I think it, it was a dream whether whether I, I believe that that could happen at that point is, is a totally different thing when did you because people talk about like turning dreams into reality and, and so forth um so do you think you realized you sort of made it when you got your first professional contract i mean how did that feel when you got given that well my my first professional contract was with york city i actually played a benefit game there last night which uh, which were a pleasure to be invited back um but yeah, so, so they were my first professional team and I would actually, cause, because I didn't go through the kind of normal kind of cookie, cookie cutter route of um, of getting picked up as a kid, going through all the kind of young um, young academies and going through the youth training, the, the YT, um, the youth trainee programs and then signing the first and second year pro. That is normally how it works. I was literally playing non-league. I, I was playing kind of, as a kid, I was just playing for local teams. Um, and then at kind of um, 16, 17, I moved into like kind of semi-professional, but I can remember at Glass Out when I were in a 10 game and I were absolutely over the moon with it. Um, I think that went up to 30 quid at one point and I was like, I say, delighted somebody were paying me for something that I would have just turned up and done for free. So, um, and then, as I say, from there I went to Frickley Athletic. But by this point, I wore, I'd left school, um, I'd gone to college, uh, I'd gone out, I'd got a decent job as a as a land surveyor, and I were actually studying civil engineering at, at uni um, as part of that job. And then York City came along, 
um, and offered me a contract and it was it was exactly the same money as what I were earning through a kind of secure job that was only going to increase um, and kind of I could could have built up over time um, because I did have have a good job. Um, but obviously I wanted to play football so what I said to York at the time was um, would look I, I obviously want to do this but you just need to let me finish like my study into a certain point so I've got some kind of qualification to fall back on if this doesn't work um, so I, I'd kind of put a plan B in place which I'd be against if I did it all over again to be honest um, but I did have the attitude of Right, I've got this chance now. I'd had no after no after no growing up. I'd been all trialing when I were a kid, like all through the ages, even to the point where, even just before I signed for, for York, I actually went on a trial for Stockport, who were in League Two at the time. Um, we went to a beef on a on a kind of uh, pre-season tour um, trial thing, and I, and I didn't get a contract there. So even up to that point, still at 19 year old, I was still getting the the no's. Um, so again, that that's, that does have a kind of negative effect on like, oh, am I good enough for that? Is it a thing? But I, I did still have, as I say, the, the work ethic to work hard. Um, but what that did was well, when I got um, offered this this professional contract, that was me sort of saying, right, right, I've, I've been given a chance here. I'm just going to make sure I outwork everybody and make sure this, as much as I've put a plan B in place, I'm making sure that I'm making something of this and. and the theory that I took kind of through um, through the different clubs that I went to were just if I work the hardest at the club, eventually I'll be I'll be the best player there, and that that worked very well for me. And it, it weren't until looking back, kind of midway through my career, when um, when I'd got a family and, and other things outside of football, kind of got involved as well, I'd, I'd kind of stopped doing the things that, that got me to, to where I was. Um, because I was just speaking last night with, with um, obviously some of the lads that um, that I used to play with at York and they were saying, oh, we can remember like on your days off, you were going like, like going and paying for a, um, an athlete to do, to give me um, sprint training and stuff like that on my, on my days off. We were joking about the fact that we can't actually move on as days off these days, but, um, but yeah, it was just them things that I, I look back on and, and, and they're the things that I will take into um, other areas of life, whether it's property or anything else. It is just that just that work ethic that I'm willing to do more than, than the next guy just to get where I am. Because I don't think I'm any, any talented. In fact, these, these guys got picked up younger than me because they probably had more talent at that point. Um, but I were only kind of, I'd, I'd put everything that I did achieve in my career down to just purely a willingness to to outwork. Good hard work, graft, strong mentality and consistency. Yeah, exactly. The, the mentality side of things is something, like I say, I, I really had to work on it. It weren't until... Um, I, I've always been into kind of educating myself further as well, so I started... Um, uh, when kind of sports psychology were, were coming around for the first time I, it was something that I kind of delved into a little bit and started studying on um, and then um, one of the clubs that I were actually at uh, Millwall actually at the time the, the, the manager there um, Ian Holloway fetched in a hypnotherapist and a lot of the lads there were just oh this is a load of crap like what am I just laying on a bed for I'd rather be out training which alright that's, that's fair enough but, but anything that ever came along like that I'd always think well someone's trying to help me here so I'm just going to buy into it whether it works or not 
I'll be the judge of that after I've think, but I'm going to throw myself into this fully and, and see if I do get any benefits out of it. And I actually did. It, that actually helped me with, with the confidence and that was when I was playing kind of one of my best footballs. It's just that that's when I realised that the mentality side of thing is huge and that, that's kind of when I sort of pushed aside kind of the, the limiting beliefs of, of what I could achieve. Um, it possibly came a bit late because kind of Football is a short career. If you, it, it, there's always a hindsight thing. If you'd have been, if you'd have known about this stuff at the, at the at the outset, then you could have possibly gone further. Which I believe I could have. I, I believe the only reason that people went further than me is because they were doing stuff that that I weren't. So it's I, I just think that is directly how it how it translates to anything you do. The time that you put in, um, even the stuff that you kind of take for granted. Like I say, the, the stuff as a kid where we were just out. I'd constantly have a ball my feet. I can remember kind of obviously we all lived in the, in the same town and, and I'd be walking from like kind of my mum's to my dad's house and I'd just be walking down the street doing doing trying to keep the ball up the whole way from, from my mum mum's house to my dad's. And it's just little things like that that it it compounds, it builds, um, and it does kind of snowball into into big things if you give it time and consistency. Yeah, the little things done well and done consistently do make the biggest difference yeah absolutely over time in terms of what a, a typical day looks like for a professional football player so let, let's take out game days let's ignore match days because the perception that people that are listening to this might have is well okay there's obviously going to be elements of training that professional football players do but then what else do you do with your spare time obviously you've just touched on a few things that you would have done differently from a lot of the sort of typical lads that would have been playing football. But what does a typical day look like for a professional football player? So you'd be getting in trainings usually, and it varies. It's manager specific, but it varies. You're usually in for about half nine. Um, some lads get in there earlier and do their own little bits and pieces. But um, uh, the, the sports science has been brought in quite a lot now. So you, so you'll get in. You usually have breakfast. Breakfast will be provided at the club yeah, and then lads will kind of go off and do their own little bits and pieces whether it's kind of injury prevention stuff whether they, if they've had old injuries or stuff like that but basically just kind of down to you for the first for the first bit and then kind of roughly about half ten would be a start time and, and now it's kind of you'd be in the gym doing um, pre-ab um, injury prevention stuff um, which you kind of movement-based exercises, stretching, activation, just all that kind of stuff. And then from there, you'd go get your boots on, you'd be out on the, on the grass. Again, you'd do a, a thorough 20-minute warm-up um, and then you'd be into the session. Um, depending on what day it is, it, it depends. So um, you say taking match days out of there, but if, if you add the match days back in a typical week, if it's just Saturday to Saturday, Monday will be a lightish day for the lads that have played 90 minutes on a weekend. Um, the other lads will work if they've not um, they've not played that day. They'll do a little bit extra. Um, Tuesdays will be a tough day. Um, there's a lot of double sessions on Tuesday, so out in the morning, um, do grafting, and then, and then at times there's um, um, after after a bit of lunch, which again you'd get at the club. Um, you'd sometimes be out. Sometimes it'd just be a gym session, or sometimes you will be back out on the grass. Wednesdays are typically off, um, 
And then Thursday would be another tough day, possibly a double session. Then Friday is a light day, um, get a bit of a blow. You some a lot play a lot of your fiver sides and just just a bit of fun stuff on a Friday, and then and then go into the the match day specific stuff. So walking through patterns of play and shape and set plays and, and all the stuff that's that's kind of specific. Um, and there'll be meetings meetings thrown in there at different varying times in the week, going over debrief from the the weekend before early in the week and then later on in the week you, you start to focus on uh, on the opposition but you generally you, you're generally done for around two o'clock ish and just just kind of free to do what you want so depending on where you've traveled from um you can be at home for half two three o'clock and I, I know a lot of the lads just get straight on the games consoles and and just kind of fifa cod whatever it is but I've never ever been into into the games. Um, it's, it's just never been for me. Um, so, I mean, early days, but like pre-family, we'd I'd go, we'd just go to like if it, like the times when I'm Bristol, we'd we'd got like a bit of a coffee crew together. We'd just go and, and sit in a, in a coffee shop and just socialise for a couple of hours before we'd make our way home. Um, now it's a lot more family orientated. It's the the good thing about that is I'm I'm always kind of there and available for for the school run if need be. Just the little things with it, with the kids if um, if that is. But a lot of um, as I say, a lot of them just just go home, sit on the games consoles, especially the ones without family and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of them, I, I do play golf myself, but that's that's kind of big on the days off. Um, I don't play as much as as a lot of them, the, the more dedicated ones. Uh, but again, it's it's just another thing. But it, th- there is a lot of free time. But one, uh, particularly since the the property stuff has taken off, a lot of that free time has has allowed me as much as it's kind of I'm still juggling full time football. There is still time in the week where I can throw at at, at the property side of stuff, whether it's finding deals, meeting investors. Um, whatever it is overseeing a project it's, it has allowed me to do that and I think that's that's where I'm glad that I never got kind of hooked on the, the games and stuff like mm. that I, I would have never just kind of wasting my time on that rather than doing something productive with it Before we go on to the property aspect there's a question that just comes to mind has anyone ever shouted you abuse when you've been picking people up from school? Shouted abuse when well, I was So you've had a poor game in the weekend and you go to school and say oi no, because you know the, the funny thing is with that, like people in person are very friendly, whereas the the ones where kind of you've been having a bad time of it, because I have had abuse over over my uh, over my career at, at, at a couple of the clubs that I've been at, and not had a, a good time on the pitch. What while you're there and while you're on the pitch, they they can say they, they or they think they can say anything they want to you, so you get all the dogs abusing you can. It's funny. It's a lot of the time, like in the bigger crowds, it's more of just a general uh, like groaning noise that sort of thing. But then you can pick out the odd, the odd thing when it's uh, when you're close to the sideline and you get there. So I have had the abuse on there, and the other thing is through social media, I've had like kind of dogs abuse on that because it's kind of their way of. I don't know. They don't. It's, it's not kind of a a personal thing. Both when you're in the in the stadium and they're there in the middle of the crowd they're, they're just kind of playing up and, it's, and there's a separation between you being on the pitch and, and then being in the stand and it's the same through social media there's a separation there's a kind of yeah they're not stood there for it but it's very rare across my career that someone come up to me face to face just out and, and actually said out the, the feel there it's it's a weird one I have had it 
I have had it. Um, it happened in front of my dad, and my dad lost his head. And I was trying to stay very calm, and he just lost it. And I'm saying, Dad, just calm down, please. <laughs> <laughs> so he, I handled it a lot better than what he did at the time. But ge- generally, it, that's been kind of few and far between when it's been actually in person. It's more when they've got kind of like saying they're hiding behind a screen, or mm. they've kind of got that separation of they're in the crowd and you're and you're just there. So. Well, you, you do get it. It's, it's <laughs> there's, that's that's a great story that I could go into if you want. But I'll probably oh, I can go for it. it. I, 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 absolutely, we you know for people we will get onto property because there are certain great elements mentally that we're talking about that you know will go hand in hand with property. But yeah, if you got a, if you got an off the cuff story, yeah, do do share. No, that that incident actually, like I didn't have a great time when I signed for Sheffield United, and I hold my hands up to that. Um, but, and I didn't leave on great terms either. It's so so I'd left there and I'd gone. Um, Oh no, sorry, I, the, 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 like, let me start again with that. I was still at Sheffield United, but I was having a bad time there and the, the fans weren't having me. Um, and we were playing Millwall away. And obviously I'd been at Millwall and I was liked by the Millwall fans and, and stuff like that, but I was injured at the time. So I've gone down on the train with my dad and a few of his friends and we've like kind of made his way through London, had a few beers um, on the way to the game. and. Um, and kind of where Millwall's ground is out in the middle of nowhere so you have to kind of you're in London you get the, the train out and then it drops you off at the ground and there's there's pretty much nothing but kind of houses and stuff around there so there's a pub right next to the train station where you get on and like my dad must have known that because he's he, when he was coming to watch me he'd always be in there but it was a Millwall pub but I didn't know that my dad's I've just kind of following my dad and his friends and we've gone in there and um, and all these these fans, like Millwall fans, are coming up to me. Oh man, well, oh, like coming up talking to me. Can we have a picture? All this being very nice. And then this this guy walks past. He's like, "You, Martin Wolford?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, how are we doing?" And he points to this little tiny like Chef United badge. And I'm like, "All oh, right, how are we doing?" Yeah. And he just lot like lost it, like screaming off. face. you shouldn't effing be in here. Like this is a disgrace. It's like the fact that you're in here. It's a, my dad instantly lost his head. He's like, I fetched him in here. Like, what's it going to do with you? Like, so he's like, he's kind of absolutely lost it. And I'm like, dad, we're in the middle of London here. Like, what, like I'm just thinking, like, I really hope this doesn't kick off. This is not the, the kind of press that I needed. Anyway, like, it finally got, because we were near the door, the, the guy finally got kind of ushered, ushered out, out of the way. And I turned around and all the Millwall fans were just lined up behind me and they were just like, don't like, don't worry, Wooly, we had you back there if that had kicked off. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> so the away team that we're playing against today is actually like fighting my corner. The whole team that I'm playing for is like trying to kill me. So like, right, nice. But then we actually got on the train as well. So I'm saying to my dad, I'm saying, dad, if that had all kicked off there, I would have obviously had to join in. Like, cause you're my dad. Like, I'm, like the, how's that going to look for me? Like, I just, just relax. Like, just don't, don't let it bother you. And he's like, oh, you're right. He says, but they just, they just do my head in and stuff like that. We got on like literally 10 minutes later, we got on the train, got off at the, um, at the ground and, and straight away, Millwall being Millwall, you separated the home, home and away separated. So obviously I was separated with the Sheffield United fans. And the same guy there is shouting from miles away, like shouting, like, like still shouting. This time all the police are lined up and my dad's lost his head again. And he's screaming at it. I was saying, Dad, this is even worse. The police are just there. Like, it just calmed down. So, yeah. It was just like, yeah. Just trying to educate my dad on not, not losing his head and trying to keep calm. But he, he just weren't having it. <laughs> I just imagine that now, just walking, well, getting off at like South Birmingham and just having abuse hurled at you, like, completely <laughs> yeah. non-stop. Like, your dad's yeah. losing the shit. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. 
in terms of in, in terms of receiving abuse, and you say yeah, social media is a very very good platform for that. I suppose what I mean by that is, as you say, people are hiding behind a barrier, so you can keyboard warriors, as we say. Yeah. So people can do that. Have you? With the abuse you have received, have, has that, how has that affected you psychologically or have you just brushed it off and moved on? Yes and no. I think I'm quite um, kind of thick-skinned when it comes to stuff like that. But it has, it has had, I'd say, a slight impact because like Twitter was the one where like when I was kind of at the height of my career, Twitter was the popular thing and I, I, I've got like kind of... I think it's dropped now. I had about 10,000 followers. I think that's just still, just purely because I've not posted in a while. For that reason, basically, because so Twitter was the one that I was active on quite regularly. I had a banter on there with the lads and, and things like that. Um, and then, as I say, more when I went to Sheffield United, like, as I say, I weren't having a, a great time there personally on the pitch. So it, it gets more frequent. Like you, I've had it at previous clubs and things, there'll be little comments that you just sort of, you, you can ignore, but, but Sheffield United were the one where it got a lot more consistent. So anything that I put on there, they were guaranteed to be like, kind of, it didn't matter what I post, they were, they were kind of, they were always gonna be the irrelevant, like in, not in context comments that just were just kind of abuse. Mm. And that did get to a point where I just stopped posting. I just thought I'm not, it, but, the, the, the mindset with that, because at the time I weren't using it for what it is now, like the, the social media thing, it was just something that at, at the time for me was just something to have a bit of banter with with friends and, and just kind of be, use social media, what kind of the general public use social media for. So it didn't, it, it got to the point there where it just, well, I don't need this. Like, well, I just, just stop posting. I'll just keep myself to myself sort of thing. And it, and it weren't, it weren't until I started getting back because I was never on Facebook either just purely from a privacy point of view more than anything I, I, I was kind of against every man and his dog knowing your business I'd, I'd just like to be more of a private person um, whereas Twitter was kind of slightly different because it you weren't airing everything you weren't airing your life on there it'd just be kind of like yeah um, little kind of as I say more banter than anything else um, but as I saw like the need of, of where where things were shifting in terms of from a business point of view and when I was kind of really pushing that side of it for the property, I signed back up to Facebook um, and Instagram then became popular. So I have I've tried um, to be more and more active on both of those platforms and I've still got Twitter that's sat there. As I said, I think it's dropped to about, um, about eight, eight, eight and a half, 9,000 followers now. But I don't utilize that as a as a platform for anything. There's there's a good group of people there that could potentially um, some some business transaction could come from that. But it's just something that I, I don't because I've still got this thing about Twitter. It's just the expectation of whatever I post. And you know when it's been that long of doing something, you, you sort of feel like you've got to come back with something like kind of all amazing and. Uh, something really interesting rather than just kind of picking up the, the normal stuff that it was so it has in that sense but in in, ter in, in general terms it's um, it, it's always the one that um, kind of successful people want people to be successful so the ones that are kind of the ones that are shouting and the ones that are actually the loudest unfortunately uh, are the ones that's kind of doing nothing with their own life and 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 just wanting to pull the people people down, you know, like whereas 
Um, it seems to be the ones that's less vocal about things like that, the ones that want to lift each other up. It, that's sort of quite different in property, actually, which is a, a community that I like much better for that side of things. You should uh, put a photo of, just get a photo of the Sheffield Wednesday badge and put it on Twitter and see the abuse you get from doing that. <laughs> that wouldn't go down well. It'd be interesting, <laughs> actually, because I'm speaking at, um, I'm speaking at Sheffield Pins, so there might be a few Sheffield United fans in the room, so. I might just come down to hell abuse from the end of the <laughs> yeah, you a Sheffield United fan, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, cheers, man. Thanks for your support. <laughs> I'm a loyal royal, so, hey, hey, Liverpool as well, mate. That's a different story. So you've alluded to in your spare time. Uh, so, you know, a lot of players go and play golf, a lot of players, you know, football game, um, games consoles, play FIFA, etc., etc. Now you've alluded to the fact that you're a bit different. So how did you come across property? How did you come across property? And then what got you thinking, well, hang on a minute, there's something here that I can work with on the side whilst I'm playing football? Well, yeah, I, to be fair, I were an accidental landlord since I was, well, for about 14 years, just purely from a house that I'd, I'd kept, like lived in initially, then when I'd moved, I'd kept. Um, but it weren't until um, my me and my close friend, he was trade-based, um, Craig Mitchell, who's, who's kind of getting very popular on uh, on social media and stuff like that for, for, for the things that he's doing as well, which is great. But he was kitchen fitter by trade. I had, um, I'd put a lot of my money in with a, a financial advisor, because so that was kind of what I was thinking was a safe bet. And then property was just something that, uh, I knew it was a, what a, a decent place to put your money. You, you can see the, the bricks and mortar, but I had no, at that point, I had no ambition with it as such. It was just kind of a, a pension pot, just somewhere different to, to put my money in. And Craig, Craig had the skill sets, skill set, and the, the team around him to do the work. And I had a, a bit of a bit of cash. It weren't huge pots of money. We bought us first property for I think it was fifty two and a half thousand. Turned it into two flats for thirty grand and. Um, and we actually pulled all his money back out of that without even knowing it were a strategy. We just know <laughs> that the, the guy had massively discounted uh, discounted the, the building. He'd uh, started turning it into two flats himself, but just not to regulations, not to anything. So he'd massively devalued it. And we knew it were a good deal because we invest and still do to this day where, we, where we'd grown up. So it, it, as much as we had no investment knowledge, you've still got an idea of what house prices are worth, where you're living and stuff like that anyway. so. The, the, like I said, the, the mentality of it, it was just a, a just a pension pot somewhere different to put my money for for after football, um, and it would never it would never just going to be one because we we set up the business from the off, so it, it was never just going to be one, but it, it was just kind of a, a, a like as I say, a pension pot that we were looking to grow with with a, a few properties, I guess. Um, so that that's kind of how that came about. We we. As I said, we had no investor knowledge, so for the first couple of years, it was a slow burner. We 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 were doing well with the projects that we were doing. We we we've still got I've still got that one um, to this day. That the first one that we did, um, as I say, it's, it's, we've got all the money back out of that, and it and it cash flows a couple of single lets. There's there's no hassle or anything with them. From there, we did a couple of flips, um, but we were under the impression as kind of most people are before they get into property is if you've got no money you, you can't do property so that one pot of money that we did have um we'd tie that up on a project and then just sit on his hands mm -hmm. um 
and do nothing essentially until that we, well, we, we'd do the refurb that would be the, the sole focus we weren't looking for the next deal we weren't because we didn't didn't think there were any point um, so it was a slow process like I say a, a project from whether it's a flip or whether you refinance from purchase to doing the refurb to the refinance or the sale at the end you, you're talking a nine month process so it, it were kind of one maybe maybe two max a year that that we could possibly do. Um, so in a couple of years, we, we'd built up to where we'd still got the two flats, we'd got another one single let, and then we'd done a couple of flips and, and, and built the, the pot up, and we were just refinancing um, one of the properties. At the time when we started, a few months earlier, we'd started reading books and started, and it started to click that there is things we can do to accelerate what we're doing. Um, so we'd started reading books and, and things like our money and property. And then started going to the networking events, um, and from there that rolled into doing the courses and, and the different training and stuff like that. And uh, we went on a three-day course that, um, that that teaches you all the strategies and everything like that. And we, that really opened our eyes to the different things that you can do to keep moving when your money is is tied up. So there's this things like rent to rent and purchase lease option, which we have utilised along the way. But the big key learning for me was how to utilize other people's money for, for a mutual benefit. So it was something that both me and Craig struggled with initially in thinking, why would people throw money our way? There's, there's, there's surely people being in the game longer than us that's, that people would prefer to invest in. Um, but that, that's not the case. People like to, to invest in the, in the people and we were, we were right we were, we were in what we're doing. We were, we were kind of, learning as we went along as i say craig was something that i took for granted initially um or underestimated the value that he was bringing in in that um in the sense that that is a, a thing that a lot of investors struggle with is getting the, the build team right mm -hmm. um and I, I always had that that were there from the start so not that i took craig for for granted but having that trusted builder right from the off was something that um, I probably didn't realise the, um, the value in that initially. Um, but yeah, it worked until we went on and learned and started kind of understanding why people would invest in us as well because it mutually benefits them. They're obviously earning normally in the bank and, and all that kind of stuff um, or kind of the, the time that we had albeit I was still in full-time football as, as I said to you before there's, there's still hours in the day that, that can be utilised so um, once we started to understand the reasons why people would want to invest in us that, that was one thing that, that really pushed us on um, and we've done a, a number of joint ventures since and uh, and that is that is what's kind of accelerated the business So that sounds like quite a natural progression and accidental landlord and then do a couple of deals didn't know too much at the time but obviously great deals from what you were saying and then you start finding out more through reading books podcasts and natural progression from there attending courses growing knowledge and then literally just one thing's led to another would you say that's a fair assessment yeah definitely and that that's one of the the, the things like because a lot of the people um, that you meet in the networking events and stuff like that they're, they're wanting to get all these all this knowledge up front which is good um but I'm glad we did it the way we did in terms of, of jumping in first and kind of 
learning along the way um, because we have made us mistakes along the way. We we um, we got off we got off to a really good start with the first one, but then after that we kind of kind of got a little bit um, not complacent and stuff like that. But but things pop up in properties as you know, so we 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 were kind of. Um, resilient in terms of anything that kind of did pop up we, we, it's just kind of a problem solving exercise and that's that's the way we see it but the education um, coming second for us I, I, would I do it differently I, I don't know I, I probably have started educating ourselves sooner because we could have no you don't know what you don't know but one of the things I do say to people um, when, when I'm kind of at the networking meetings is like if they've not kind of got anything going yet I, I just tell them to start where they are just start where you are now with what you've got um, if you've got a pot of money then great um, go out find yourself a good deal and, and just make that happen um, if you haven't got the money then what is uh, then the challenge is kind of what can you do um, is it a different strategy you use um, like a rent to rent or something like that to build up your pot or, or deal up for the investors straight away from the off but just start, just start where you are with, with what you've got at that moment in time and, and just get going. Yes, continue to build your knowledge because it's massively important and it, and it still is for us because things are, things are ever changing in the property world. But um, yeah, some people kind of um, get fixated on wanting to know everything which is never going to happen. You, you never did. The property throws up things um, and life throws up things that, that is unexpected and, and you can't kind of, you, you're not going to find in a book sometimes. So it's it's just that, um, it, it's just acknowledging that. And then when those problems do arise, it's it's kind of the, the, the attitude and the mentality of, right, this is the situation. How do we overcome it? And, and, and and how do we uh, turn this into a positive? So I think that's the attitude that I have about everything, really. But um, but yeah, in terms of the progression, it, it was a good way that we do it. The only thing I would change is probably, like I say, to start the education process earlier is is what I would do. But I would still still be willing to to jump and learn as we go. Do you have any property horror stories that you're willing to share? Um, I've got I, I've got a project at the minute actually, which again like goes back to a little bit of taking taking Craig for granted a little bit. Um, Craig were really busy um, with other developments when I were taking on a project, um, so I were kind of forced into using another builder on one of my kind of personal projects, and I, and I got stung straight away with. It's not going to cost me too much because I was kind of switched on enough to realise the things that were happening and, and negate that. But it, it still highlighted the fact that I'm actually, because I've got a good bit of experience behind me, I'm still not immune to, to kind of making mistakes if um, if you do take your eye off the ball slightly. Um, as I said, the, the, the guy, I don't actually think it was, it was intentional. I just think he'd... Um, he got himself far too busy with um, with other projects, and it, it, it kind of got to the point where I think he was um, kind of trying to pinch a little bit off one project to, to cover the mistakes that he'd made on another one. Um, and he he did uh, again. Uh, it seemed to me like he was. 
not as knowledgeable as what I thought in terms of again like taking Craig for example we're down for for the HMO for example Craig knows the regulations he knows um, he knows everything inside out um, and you just kind of presume that all builders know that themselves so they made a huge mistake with um, with the insulation on all the external walls which was a, a lot of um, square footage that had to all be ripped out a kitchen had gone in by this point um, so that all had to come back out because it, the, the building inspector just just wasn't happy um, so it, it could have cost it could have cost thousands luckily as I say I, the, the guy the builder that I did use I think he just kind of got in above his head I don't think he was necessarily you hear the horror stories that that kind of like people getting purposely screwed over. Um, in fact, I was just listening to, to one of the podcasts the other day, the, the guy um, the guy on there was telling a story about how he had to refurb the property three times because the builder just didn't didn't turn up. It, it wasn't like that where, where he was purposely trying to think. I just think he'd got in above his head um, and the projects were a little bit bigger than what he'd been, what he'd been used to. Um, Luckily for me, it did fix all the all the plastering and, and stuff like that. So I got it to a point where I weren't out of pocket, and the deal is going to eventually be um, a good deal. But it forced me to kind of down tools for quite some time because um, the projects were supposed to be um, it was going to be our office space originally, with the provisions of it becoming a HMO down the line. Mm-hmm. If if it worked and it were profitable for us as a, as a business, then we were going to continue to use that. But the refurb, I was spending a little bit more money on the refurb to get it to offices because it was going to be with the provisions of it then just being an easy easy switch to um, to a HMO. But it didn't appoint a building inspector. So by the time all this had happened and the kitchen had gone in and stuff like that, I was thinking everything was fine with the building inspector. Um, and with me being slightly inexperienced of the different regulations between office, um, office and residential, I, I overlooked the fact that um, the kitchens weren't allowed to go in a certain place, whereas they are for residential. It were, they, they were all this this thing that, that I just weren't allowed. So it, it forced me into downing tools for quite some time, making sure then I had got, we, we couldn't use it as, as officers, otherwise there would have been a lot of wasted expense. Um, so I was forced to just turn that straight into residential, which meant downing tools for quite some time and um, just getting the change of use and everything like that. That project is, about to, to kick back off again now um, and as I say it's going to be a, a really profitable deal it's, and that in itself has learnt me a lot um, one from the builder aspect um, two like kind of on the different regulations that the actual commercial buildings have office space in comparison to, to residential um, and yeah it's, it's just uh, you're still as I say, you're never immune to to these things cropping up um, as much as you've got the experience. So it is just that kind of problem solving exercise again, which which I, I spoke about, and it is turning um, turning a negative into positive, and it will still come out a good deal, thankfully. But it has cost a lot of time more than anything else, which is which is just as valuable, if not if not more, sometimes as as the the, the monetary side of things. So. So yeah, I've, uh, I've I've definitely had um, a horror horror story or two in uh, in property, and I think um, the fact that you can be open and honest about them does add 
um, add that kind of trust from from investors and things like that. Because um, my, if someone's there and they've they've not got any of these horror stories and every everything's gone swimmingly in property, then great. Um, but my question would then be is how is that person going to cope if something major does come up because it never it will do it at some point um and i think the fact that i can kind of demonstrate the things that have happened and then how we've overcome that uh, it, it it goes a long way with with the investors and, and things like that um as well and it just adds another kind of learning curve to what you've to the armor really, you know kind of the different things that can crop up and it's it's an ever it's an ever growing list and it always will be in property i think it's it's just um it's more an attitude of things of there's there's always going to be problems but there's there's always solutions to those problems and it, it just helps you uh it thickens the skin a little bit and uh, allows you to kind of problem solve quickly and uh, more efficiently when they do arise Completely agree. There's a lot of times, in fact, point number one, if anyone's in property that's never had anything go wrong whatsoever, I'd be very skeptical of that. Exactly, yeah. As you say, it's things always, I won't say things are always going on, that's not quite the right mentality, but you know, it's business, it's property, there are things that will always crop up. And if it isn't necessarily the buildings, it might be regulations, changes in, you know, government policy, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always something to, to keep us on our toes. Yeah. And yeah, dealing with you know the various elements, building inspectors, building control, you know, planning, you know, licensing. There's there's so many different aspects, and you're absolutely right, man. That you can get a project where if if something does go wrong, something like that, it takes a lot of time to sort out. It's not always a very quick fix. And some people you know do think that property can be a, a very quick fix. Where when you get a situation like that, and you've got to deal with the necessary council people and get everyone involved it's it could be a bit of a pain and but it just takes time yeah it can because one of, one of the other the other the experience that we had in that the, the first commercial to residential development that we did um we were very naive to the to the facts that of, of how um, bad of a reputation hmos have got we just went we, we just went right we'll just go planning we're, we're going for a 10 bed hmo turn the post office into a 10 bedroom hmo no problem we'll just go get get planning for, for what it is and um as soon as the planning application went in the locals got wind of of what it were going to be um and just instantly thought that we were going to attract the scum of the earth to to this building and and they they just had this opinion that it was just going to be a, a halfway house or a, a drug den or whatever it was so a petition started. Um, the the petition <laughs> it gathered traction quite quickly. Actually, <laughs> it snowballed very quickly. Uh, got quite a lot of signatures. Then um, the council jumped on it, got on board with the petition, and, and they were kind of all riling it up even further. At this point, we did actually go like kind of put a flyer together um, of previous projects, the standard that we do. Got got like kind of give them examples of of the tenants that we do actually attract um, and went round kind of door to door and, and spoke to, to the locals and stuff like that. And, and they were all kind of then, oh, right, actually that's, that sounds really good. And, and they were all understanding, but by this point it was too late. It had got to the council and they, as much as we tried sitting down with them, 
Um, they just weren't letting up. No, it's, it's bad for the area, um, and we're, we're not having it. So they forced us all the way to to decision in court, which was a very nervy day. Actually, we thought it was going to go a lot smoother because they couldn't, they can't necessarily just refuse your planning on the basis of we don't want that building. There's mm-hmm. got to be a legitimate reason of of why, which they didn't have. There were no legitimate reason other other than the locals had this perception of. It attracting the wrong type of people, which our argument to that was, well, that's not that's irrelevant. It's just a management. That's a management thing, not a not a building specific thing. So we we knew we knew we knew that we were going to pass, although it, it became very nervous because we the first thing that the panel of judges that that were sat there in in court, the first one that stood up happened to live across the road from a bad HMO and had got this horrible kind of experience of HMOs so he's told this story straight away the first one where I think you know oh, no this is not the day that, <laughs> this is not the day we were expecting here and it, and it got it, it scraped past by literally by one one vote um, on the panel which we were kind of obviously delighted with um, but came out of court rather rather sweaty um, but that in itself again just another problem that you just don't expect that that caused huge time delays getting through the planning and, and like you say it's, it's time that you, you don't get back and, and there's not there's not a direct kind of cost um, implication to that but that there is some kind of kind of monetary um, impact that it will have obviously especially if you're kind of in a project where you've maybe got it on a bridge or uh, or financing in place, and you've got these running costs ongoing. Luckily, we didn't on that. It was uh, it was joint venture funded, and we bought the building cash, so we weren't massively. As I said, there were, there were no major uh, monetary costs to us, um, especially in the grand scheme of the project. Um, so we were lucky in that instance. Um, but it's just taking the, the lessons away from that because the the projects um, that I just spoke about there, where I had a bit of issue with the builder. Um, that were kind of we, we'd rolled in um, into that one off the back of it going down a t- totally different route which w- was a lot smoother so we'd gone down uh, we'd, we'd carved it up into we are still doing a, a HMO but we'd car- carved it up into flats to get through the, the planning through um, prior approval um, so all that side of things were a lot smoother um, but as I say so we, you've, you've learned from one lesson you're applying that to the next project, and then, as I say, the, the builder issue came up, and it froze froze a completely different um, challenge at you. So, it, it, I, I expect it to, to continue to happen. We, we're just learning from the from the lessons that we've got, and I think, like you say, I think I'd be very, I'd very be very skeptical in a way that if somebody's done property and not hit any challenges yet, then I'd be skeptical on two reasons: is one, are they actually being truthful about that um, and, and kind of being open and honest about that if they are then great but then like, as I said the question would that be is how are they going to handle it when when these problems do arise are they going to be kind of have they had the ride a little bit too easy and, and kind of then a, a huge problem comes up and, and they've just not got the the kind of thick skin that, that you build up through through challenge after challenge um, to overcome that. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't change any of the mistakes or the, the challenges that have arised in property because it's it, it's all 
um, a huge lesson, I think, more than anything. I think that's you've just got to take away what you can out of it. Communication is a key as, as well. I mean, going back to, you said it wouldn't change anything. And I agree with you on that. I don't think, you know, we should sit around and regret things that have gone in the past because it's in the past you learn and, you know, whatever. Going back to um, the post office, would you do a pre-app next time rather than just go straight in with planning? Uh, yeah, possibly. Um, the, there's, there's a couple, there's, as I say, from that, there's quite a few different things that we could do. One of the things is if, if I were going straight for HMO planning, from the off, I'd be going around the neighbours first of all, just to prevent that that petition getting started. Just explain who you are, what you're doing, the type of tenants, the, the standard that you work to, the type of tenants that you do attract, and just give them as much information, just so that they uh, understand. It's just educating them because HMOs have been in the past um, a, a place where they've not necessarily been done to the best standard, they're not necessarily attracting the, the, the best of people. So the, as a kind of, 10 years ago, for example, that, that that perception that people have got may have been more accurate than it is now, but I think the bar's been raised massively across the board. Um, there's a lot of people working to a very high standard and, and trying to provide luxury uh, accommodation at times and, and that's what, what we are trying to do so it, it is still a case of educating the people that aren't necessarily in the property circles of what a HMO now is or or is in, in our case and a lot of a lot of other, other investors um, so that's where I'd start um, yes possibly um, go, go down a, a pre-app route um, possibly but as I say the, the, other, the, the way that we've got round it on um, on the next project is just going, just carving it up into flats and going prior approval, going down the the permitted development route because it's it's more with with prior approval. It's it's a it's just a tick box exercise. As long as you can satisfy parking, um, flooding, contamination, and noise, they they can't refuse it. Um, you, there is um, there is a time element to that because you have got to establish your C three first so you, you've got to get kind of tenant tenant in on a on an ast uh, initially um, but then the transition from single letter hmo is, is just again permitted so um, it, it, we just found that a, a much smoother route um, of going and getting the building through the planning process a lot a lot easier and that would come from uh, correct me if i'm wrong but something like doing a strategy like that would have come from been in the right circles, been in the right communities, listening to the right people, uh, education basically. It's not something you would just instinctively, if, if you were new to property, unless you obviously just heard what you've just said, if you're new to property, probably it's not the first thing you think about is, oh, building, permitted development, or then I'm going to put it into a HMO, etc. You normally learn these things over time by speaking to people that have, have done it before. Yeah, the, the, the networks, um, the courses, the books, I can't recommend them enough because the educational side of things is is huge um, and as a, going back to kind of our journey that that is as i said to you the one thing that i would have that i would have changed is getting into the educational side of things much earlier um, because as you say you, you're not you're never going to know these things and you don't know what you don't know so if you if you, you like say when we started out we didn't know about the different strategies we didn't even know we didn't even know that we were joint venturing we didn't even know that a joint venture was a thing we didn't even know that um, 
adding value and then refinancing your money back out was a, a, a strategy as such. It, it was just, we didn't know. So as you say, you're not going to pick up these um, these little nuggets and things that you can then utilise in, in kind of making your, your property investment journey more kind of... Uh, cost effective or uh, kind of push things on much quicker if you're not speaking to the right people doing the right courses educating yourself with the with the right books um so it is massive i can't, I can't um i can't vouch for the educational side of things enough because you as i say there's loads of stuff that i'm i'm constantly learning um and it, it go there's a lot of things in life that that, that translates back into to the sporting background because uh, as I said to you like there's a lot of players in football that, that get like you said you, about thinking that you've made it um, and I think if if you th- get to the point where you think that you've made it whether it's in sport whether it's in property whether it, whatever it is in life then I think you, that is a very kind of dangerous place to be to be in because you, you, it, it kind of breeds complacency um and as you say whether if it's sport you'll get left behind because there's always someone younger and and, and kind of um, working as hard if not harder than you if, if you kind of just just rest on on where you are and and, and thinking that you you don't need to get any better and, and don't need to improve and it's it's the same in property things are constantly changing so if you just rest on what you know now in five years time that's that's probably going to be irrelevant um so you, you just need to keep up with with everything on the the educational side of things yeah to, to an extent i mean if you've got if you know that you're doing single buy to lets and that's your bread and butter and that's all you're going to do and you're going to do 20 30 of them then to an extent not gonna i can imagine that wouldn't change too much over time but the sort of you know tax stuff and stuff like that will change so yeah there is an element of education sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be property education as such as in learn about this new strategy learn about that but certainly on like a tax implication and and the business side people should you know all in this business purposes but a lot of people do still treat it as a part-time hobby and if you treat it as a hobby you're going to get hobby results you need to treat it as a business absolutely that was one of the big things that we underestimated um, as i say because we, when we got in we, we did set up the business so it was it was never kind of just going to be a one-off um project um and we were always going to look to to kind of push and build um but we did once we kind of got to where we were kind of uh, running a little bit quicker with things. It was the the business aspect of it that we massively underestimated. The, like like you say, people people think the property is just just property, and it, it's it, it's not. You you have got to treat it like a business because, like I say, it's not it's not it's not just a hobby. And like I say, with, with everything with everything constantly changing, like you said there, even, even if your bread and butter is just a single let's which I do believe that single lets still work. You're obviously a, um, an advocate of that. Um, but if, if you kind of, there's a, there's a lot of landlords that are now struggling because they've not, they've, they've kind of come a, um, a cropper to, the, to these new rules and new changes. So you have always got to be um, willing to adapt. And I'm not saying it's necessarily 
uh, move on to the next strategy, the next strategy, the next strategy. No, I think it's like you say, it's it's find your strategy and then and then constantly kind of keep moving forward with that, keep mm-hmm. evolving that strategy and, and just kind of fine tuning tuning that and just making sure you're on the ball with everything that's kind of relevant to that strategy. Um, I don't think you need to um, necessarily be um, going on to the next fashionable thing. We we got um, a little bit caught up in that initially, as I say, when we came out of, um, of the, the three-grade training, we'd got all these... Um, all these different strategies in its heads and, and serviced accommodation were one of them. Um, and we, we went and set up a, a rent-to-rent serviced accommodation business, which um, went well to start with. And then when we, again, underestimated the, the business element of that and the, the time that it takes, um, when when the portfolio started to grow, the, the other arm to that that we kind of set up was, was the lettings purely because um, we were we're in a position where we're finding the deals, we're in a good area. Um, So the the deals weren't an issue. Um, Craig had his team to do the the developments and things like that. So so one of the things that we were looking for was um, investors, joint venture partners and things like that. Um, So in order to expand a little bit on that, we wanted to have the, the missing piece of the puzzle to that was the the management side of things. So we wanted to, to be able to offer this turnkey investment opportunity for investors. So that so we set up um, the lettings as well, which again that that is a set business and that that takes time and, and, and effort and all that kind of stuff. So when the portfolio and the lettings started to get to a point where that was um, taking up a lot of us time. Um, and because those two worked hand in hand, and that were the main focus, this service, this rent-to-rent service, the service accommodation business that was just on the side, we started to take his eye off the ball a little bit with that. Um, so, so we we basically just pulled away from that. We we just kind of honed back into right. Actually, we we're overcomplicating things here. It's unnecessary. We want to focus on what we are, um, what we are wanting to do. Um, and that actually led to me and Craig going down slightly different paths actually because um, Craig wanted Craig wanted to do sourcing uh, Craig's wanting to do the, the bigger build developments now which he's got a plot of land which he's, he's got the planning for, for 10 houses and the, this huge big prob- uh, project which I'm, I'm excited to see how he gets on with that um, but that's obviously something that's going to take a couple of years to, to actually come to fruition in the meantime, he's focusing on the sourcing side of things, um, which wasn't for me. Um, I do pass deals on and things like that. If, it, if it's not for me, I usually pass it through Craig and just, just make him do his due diligence bit on, on that. But I'm more focused on joint ventures and, and fixed investors purely because um, I like to have a bit of skin in the game. Um, mm. Even if it's fully joint venture funded, I like I like to know that I've got a vested interest because as we spoke about earlier, things will crop up in property, and if I've passed someone on a deal with with some and then something unforeseen pops up, 
I'm not then there, that's, that's then their deal and I'm not there to help problem solve that. I'd rather be in a position where I'm working with someone and, 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 and overcoming the challenges that, that present. So I like to have a bit of skin in the game, whether it is my personal funds as well as others, or whether it is just the fact that, look, I, this is in my best interest to solve this this problem. Um, so I, and I still wanted to be building the portfolio because I'm, I'm obviously transitioning out of football. So I need, I need the monthly cash flow coming in from that. Um, and I didn't want to be creating another job, which is essentially what sourcing is. If you stop sourcing, then the income source. So I'm looking to be more more passive, which is still, I do know that that is still something that Craig wants, but because he's taking on these bigger developers, it's going to take a lot more time, which he's kind of supplementing in, in the meantime with his sourcing, his, um, his build, uh, building business and he's taken on the lettings now so I've pulled away from the lettings and I'm just purely focusing on the the portfolio side of things um, Craig is my so a couple of shout outs Craig's got um, Carter and Co which is my my builder I've gone back to him he's now kind of he, like I said the, the trust is there he's he's my builder LJ and Keith lettings is the the lettings side of things which as I say that was my business originally or I was part of that business I've pulled away from that um, totally but they are the, the two things that I still use and work well with because I know and trust them um, there's also um, just to give a shout on the interior design point of view there's always uh, there's uh, we use uh, Layla and Lily interiors which is uh, which is my ex-missus actually but we still work very closely and <laughs> under a good relationship and she's very good um, so I, I still use Craig quite heavily um, and we do still work together and, and interlink but it's not the set joint venture that it, that it was anymore I've taken over the portfolio um, and I'm now focusing on still do the single lets still think single lets work uh, still do the kind of house kind of terrace HMO style um, but I'm trying to focus more. My scale is coming from um, the commercial to resi stuff, which I'm looking to, to really scale up. Um, and that's what I'm now focusing on my time on finding those kind of deals mixed in with finding the investors and the joint venture partners that I can work with and, and, and kind of help each other with facilitate those those deals so that's the, the commercial to resi side of things on a bigger scale is something that i'm looking to to move towards in the in the coming months which i've got a few projects that's um, exciting i think you wrapped that up perfectly i was going to ask what's the future hold you know for yourself moving forward and you've just done that i think a, a key point to outline before we go into a couple of quick fire questions we'll begin to wrap up i'm conscious of number one time at number two we might get kicked out again so that'll be yeah we're just waiting for a, for a knock on the door again anyway <laughs> the infamous knock on the door yeah so i think a great point that you've made is that you, you start off at point a and you know you know where you want to go you know where point b is but from what you've explained there, you've had a lot of variables, you've had a lot of ups and downs, and that's very typical from, I think any entrepreneur, not just people in property, but you know, any, any entrepreneur, you're gonna get ups and downs, you know roughly where you're gonna go, and things will change, and you've got that mentality where you've got an open-mindedness where if things do change, it's not the end of the world, sometimes they're gonna be for the best, sometimes you know, they're gonna be you know, not for the best, but you just gotta keep plowing forward, use the mentality that you've ingrained 
um, from your football days, you still play football, of course. Yeah, in a nutshell, know where you're going, but also have that level of flexibility and it will all work itself out in the end. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that uh, I touched on there a little bit is, is, and you just touched on yourself, is, is knowing where you are going. When we kind of started out, it, it, there were no real direction, there were no real, uh, to be honest, I underestimated what could, could be achieved through property and it wouldn't, like I say, it was just a bit of a pension pot. It, it weren't until one we realised what can be achieved actually this could be a really good income replacer for me which is something that i will need because i I was well aware um, that sport was a a short-lived career Um, but the other the other thing that i'd say is learning from what we did in kind of spreading things out like dabbling in service accommodation doing like doing these these different strategies um what now I've I've come to learn, and uh, to be fair, it, it has been stressed to me at some of the meetings over time. It is to focus on one thing. Um, I wouldn't agree to that as in kind of just focus on one specific thing, but it's very important to know where you're going and, and what what the best strategy is to get you there. And that is something that we've um, we've we've had to kind of really focus on recently as, as I say it highlighted um, between me and Craig the, the difference in what we were wanting to achieve Craig had Craig Craig likes to be hands-on getting dirty in the properties and and, and working essentially he is a grafter uh, which is which is brilliant and and he's happy to because of the skill sets that he's got, he can work for as long as he needs to. So he's got the time to get the, like I say, he's got the time in there to allow him to, to focus on these projects that will only come to fruition like in maybe a couple of years time. Whereas I would different circumstances, I were well aware that I would come in towards the end of my career. So my focus is, is different. So we had two different kind of, we were joint venturing but had two completely different paths, if you like, and it weren't until we identified that, that there was a more kind of efficient way of us both, um, of us both working. So I'd stress, like I say, the the couple of things there to stress is is to know where you're going. Um, Kind of, you're never gonna have the full big picture, I don't think, but it's having that kind of strong direction of what you want to go in but then like you say be aware that that things are going to change in the short term and you you've got to be aware that it's kind of not just going to be a straight line from a to b there's going to be a lots of curves and roadblocks and diversions and all this stuff thrown in your way and you have just got to be willing to um to think and, and work your way out of it at times so yeah that's a great piece of advice for anyone that's listening that's you know maybe a couple of years in or just starting is yeah, he's exactly what mine just said. I think that's fundamental, uh, to be honest. So wrapping up with a few quick fire. I like to do some quick fire. I'll hold my hands up. They're not always the best questions, but I always get the best responses. <laughs> I'll start off with, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Uh, being given? Um, I'd probably go back to my dad on that one. He's just the work ethic. If, if you work harder than, than anybody else, then eventually you're going to be... 
the best at whatever whatever it is that you're applying that to that that for me goes back to the sports side of things so that's um I, as i said to you earlier i always had the mentality that if i worked the hardest at the club that i would eventually become the best player um, and i think if you've got that attitude then it'll take you quite a long way what would you say the worst piece of advice you've ever been given is um tough question actually um Uh, I don't know if it's um, if it's advice or something like that. I'm struggling to answer that question, but to give a kind of answer, um, I think um, I think that a lot of people that I've come across a lot along the way think that. Um, you're born a certain way and I, I I ultimately disagree with that I think you mold into what you apply um, so it's not necessarily advice I've, I've probably kind of cheated on the question a little bit um, but I would I, I really don't like when, when people kind of think that your, your talents and your abilities and everything else are, are fixed I think everything can be worked on um, to a point where you can become whatever you want to and what whatever you're willing to apply and dedicate yourself to. I've nice. massively cheated that question, <laughs> I know, but I hope that's a good answer. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure people would like to hear that, so that's absolutely fine. And then if someone was in limbo about making a decision, what piece of advice would you give them? Uh, somebody actually asked, asked me this at a networking event that I was speaking to recently. Um, and they were just stuck getting going and I, and because they, they sort of got caught in this, oh, I don't know what strategy to use, I don't know, thing. And, and my advice was start in the end, end in mind, and but start now, start with what you've got. Uh, if you've, as I said to you earlier, if you've got, if you've got a pot of money for a deposit, then start, be it a single let, whatever, just get yourself going in the property world and then, and then start to learn and educate yourself from there. Um, if you've not got the pot of money, then figure out the strategies that, you can apply that don't necessarily need the pots of money, or or go out there and find the people people that have. But start with start now and start with what you've got. Um, yes, educate yourself, but don't get caught in information overload and, and wanting to to know everything because you're never going to know that. Just just start now with with what you've got um, and just be willing to um, willing to make the mistakes learn from the people that have already made them but you, you need to be willing to make them for yourself and then because you're a Man United fan I'm compelled to ask do you think Solskjaer will be there by the end of the season <laughs> I think he's having a bad time at the minute which is a shame because um, yeah he's a really likeable person uh, they will question marks when they give him the job a little bit too early but I think it's a, you don't get much time in football anymore unfortunately so there's a very good chance that he won't Okay, perfect. Which would be a shame for me, I think. So I'm really wishing him to do well. I felt compelled to. I have a few friends at United fans, and it's. Um, I, I think yeah. when when you've had grown up in the nineties, when you have, you're so used to watching one team be as dominant as Man United were as a kid, and you grow up. And I think when you're so used to that, it's so consistent. You know, you're succeeding pretty much every year. You know, winning trebles, doing whatever, and then when that's taken away from you, because you're so used to it, I can imagine it's just as a fan, it's just 
you know, well, what, what the hell is going on here? Because he's so used to having it one way, and you know, now you've got you know, arguably you know, rivals across the city that are doing really well, and then probably the most fiercest rivals, Liverpool, are still around and about and getting better. But I don't mean it's perfect. But I can imagine if you say, if same with anything in life, not just football actually, if you're so used to something and then that change happens and the massive change happens, it can be difficult to adapt. Yeah, definitely. I think um, you get used to having years and years of bragging rights and all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're taken away. So you, you, you're coming, you're on the wrong end of the abuse for once. Um, but yeah, it, it is difficult. Like I say, it's things changing all walks of life. It's, uh, it's a bad time at the minute for as a, as a Man United fan, but uh, I'm sure there'll be, be brighter days ahead at some point. Fair enough, but I won't comment on my bias on this podcast on that. Uh, Mark, finally, if people want to get a hold of you, it's been absolutely fantastic. Loads of information here. I'm sure people will be thinking, how do I get in touch with you? So how do people get in, get a hold of you? The social media-wise, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. They'll be able to find me on there. The one, most of the content on Facebook goes through my Instagram, to be honest. That is the, the platform that I'm... Uh, I'm most active on. Um, so there's there's the business one that I just keep purely um, for the property stuff, which is L, at LJ and Keith. Um, but feel free to follow my personal one if you want a bit of football and family life in there as well, which is uh, Woolly11. Um, so yeah, that, that's the one that I'm most active on uh, and pushing. Um, the, I'm, I'm looking to kind of really push the social media side of things and different avenues. Um, I'm thinking about getting set up on YouTube and uh, maybe even dabbling into podcasts myself but that is is something in the future um other than that if anybody wants any kind of personal help wants to know what's kind of any advice wants wants help with their property investments whatever whatever that may be um my email is martin which is spelled with a y m-a-r-t-y-n um, at lj and which is a-n-d keat k-e-a-t dot co uk should have picked a better name for like just explaining that, but I feel like I have to spell it out. But I'm used to that with first name, surname, so I thought I might as well throw an email address in there that I have to spell out as well. So, <laughs> so yeah, but if anybody wants anything, um, or as I say, anything, I'm, I'm always willing to help. Um, I, I get a lot of pleasure in adding, to, adding value to other people, so um, I'm always happy to, to speak um, or meet up or anything like that. But yeah, feel free to get in touch. Awesome stuff. And as usual, we'll put links to an email address and so forth in the show notes. For those that are listening, and Martin, thank you very much for your time. We've avoided that second knock on the door. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> midway interruption, but uh, we got there in the end. All the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.